Welcome into another Busting Brackets podcast. I'm your host, Brian Ralph, joined as always by my co-host, Connor Hope. Today, we're joined by Busting Brackets site expert, Tristan Freeman. Tristan, thank you for joining us. But before we get into things, Connor, um, it's March. It's conference tournament season. We've had our first day of conference tournaments on Tuesday. The A-Sun um, seemed to be a, a two-man race between Liberty and and then maybe North Florida challenging them, but it was a, a fun day of games in that tournament specifically. No, it was incredibly fun. Um, I was flipping it actually between kind of all four games or all three of the, the earlier games and then the end of the Florida Gulf Coast Lipscomb game. And, um, you know, all all four games were close. I, I know this, the Stetson-North Alabama game kind of blew open towards the end of that second half, and Stetson ended up winning by 10. Um, the home team won obviously all, all four games, but, uh, you know, Liberty and North Florida are not guaranteed to win this tournament. And, um, you know, Liberty will take on Stetson, uh, North Florida will take on Lipscomb and both North Florida and Lipscomb can, can take out Liberty. Um, if they, they catch them the right way, Liberty's defense is very solid. Uh, but they showed that their offense, uh, might not be as good, um, as it needs to be to really be that that kind of upset pick. I, I know they're a popular upset pick, and Brian, you and I have, have talked about this um, separately, that we don't really trust Liberty uh, as much as we have in the past to be that that up popular, you know, likely upset in the NCAA tournament. And, and I'm not even sure, from what I saw today against NJIT, that they come out of the A-Sun. No, and and I'm willing to give them a pass on the first game of March, having it be just get some of those jitters out, being uh, a team that has all these expectations on them now. But we'll see how it goes. I, I don't have much confidence in them, though. If the, Should they get to the NCAA tournament, they'll probably get a 12 seed because of their record. I, I don't feel confident in them being one of those 12-5 upsets. But Tristan, uh, the A-Sun wasn't the only conference tournament going on today. The Big South started as well. The Horizon League started. The Patriot League started along with the A-Sun. So just give me a, from any of those conferences, a takeaway from today or something that you're really looking forward to over the next week or so. Yeah, so this is the, you know, the opening round for some of the bigger leagues that sort of have buys. So when you look at the Horizon League, the team that I'm looking at is Wright State because they're possibly going to be a 13 seed that I'm going to pick as an upset threat in the first round of tournament, but they have to get through Oakland and Northern Kentucky first. So, you know, the A-10 with all their teams playing is definitely have the early spotlight sort of waiting on a couple of days from now where you have really the top teams all getting into action of sorts. But first day of the conference tournament is always fun. Everybody except for a few teams always in it. It's nice to see teams fighting as hard as they can. And you saw it with NJIT, even though they were a heavy underdog, they weren't going to go down without a fight, even against top seed at Liberty. So don't be surprised, as usual, when we have a whole bunch of upsets coming soon. It's one of the things that makes March what it is, right? It's always fun. And there will be some other tournaments getting getting started this week. Um, the Ohio Valley is the first one to award their auto bid on Saturday. Mountain West awards their auto bid on Saturday as well. So it's finally here. We're getting to the fun stuff. Uh, but elsewhere, uh, we're wrapping up the regular season in some places. Um, most of the bigger conferences, some of the smaller conferences too, that will start their conference tournaments next week. I want to touch on the ACC real quick, Connor. Uh, Duke obviously in action stopped their mini slide on Monday by beating NC State with a big second half. We've talked about it with the ACC specifically, the top teams, and not necessarily knowing who's the best among them. Virginia's been surging. Uh, Tristan made a, a joke over the weekend after Virginia beat Duke that Virginia might be the best team in the ACC again. Uh, Florida State went and lost to Clemson. Louisville's had their struggles. Do you trust anybody in the ACC, Connor? I I trust Florida to be in every game. 
So I trust Florida to put themselves in a position to win every game they play. Uh, I can't necessarily say the same thing about Louisville. I can't necessarily say the same thing about Duke. Um, do I trust Florida to? Do I trust Florida to win the the ACC tournament or, or to make it deep in March? Yes and no. Um, but of those three teams, the team that I, you know, going into a game always trust to play well is is florida state sorry florida state um yeah make sure you correct that before all the seminoles fans get in your mentions <laughs> yeah so i i trust florida state and um as for the other two i probably trust louisville a little bit more my my issue with duke and it'll continue to be my issue is yes yes they ended the slide but you know that it, it wasn't a a one-time occurrence right it wasn't just you know they had one bad game against a, a bad team they, they've lost at home to Stephen f austin um they lost at clemson a game which they probably should have won handily although i think clemson is better than a lot of people give them credit for um they lost against an nc state team by a lot and then they they kind of th- that game against Wake Forest I think is probably the worst uh, case that they've had all year just just simply because they they had that lead late in the second half and blew it um, in spectacular fashion so uh, do I do I tr- and they almost lost to North Carolina so do I trust Duke no do I think Duke has the highest ceiling yes. I have completely jumped off the Duke bandwagon over the past month and a half, I think. Uh, We've talked about uh, the struggles they have in their half-court offense, and that's going to come back and bite them in the NCAA tournament, in my opinion. Them just not being able to get buckets consistently. uh, Obviously, Vernon Carey is is a huge force for them down low, but he's their only real option that they can rely on in the half-court. Prior to the sort of recent slide they've been on, they had gotten by with their defense because they had been elite defensively and have all the ingredients of an elite defensive team. But that has completely fallen off over the past month and a half as well. So you look at that outside of Cassius Stanley running on the break and jumping over everybody, I don't know where this team's necessarily the strongest. And Tristan, I think we saw that Saturday against Virginia with um, Virginia's ability to not necessarily control the game, but make Duke play they wanted to play uh, and, and were the aggressor in a lot of aspects. They're, they've been playing really well of late. They've lost maybe one game in the last month. So, Tristan, how good is this Virginia team? Can they make any significant noise in the NCAA tournament? Yeah, I would not want to see Virginia in my bracket whatsoever. Mainly, even without the talent, the way they play, it's just – going to be incredibly difficult for teams who aren't used to that kind of style seeing them and you know it's probably going to be out of range but my dream first round matchup would be Virginia and BYU in the tournament because you're going to have teams with potent offenses who's going to try and force their way on the Cavaliers and you just see it day in and day out in ACC you you can't do it and even with the lack of talent even with you know, Diakite hoping to find some sort of offensive help each night. Virginia just still plays their way and no one can find an answer for it. And it's credit to Tony Bennett, who really, even more so in the last couple of years, has shown that he is a top five coach easily in college basketball. So they might not, they might look vulnerable and they certainly looked that way through the first part of the season, but there's, there's a few teams who I think that can truly have the offense that is just going to dominate them. And if you're going to beat them, it's going to be a 60-55 game. So be careful if you see the Cavaliers, and I wouldn't be surprised if they make another 16 Elite Eight run, just frankly, just because of the coach they have. But given that lack of talent you talked about, Tristan, I'll go right back to you. Is this the best coaching job Tony Bennett has done? in his time at Virginia, in your opinion? Oh, oh, 100%. I think um, the only player that you wouldn't say for sure would be a starter on most of the other teams in the top 25 is Diakite. Uh, K.A. Clark has 
played admirably, but I think it's clear that he's a fairly limited offensive player. You have the big men they've used, uh, nothing like they've had in the past in terms of just being a defensive presence and even, you know, hoping that uh, the guards they've had when it comes to offense to shoot the ball well. It's it's clearly from a talent standpoint not a top 25 team but it's it's literally tony bennett willing these guys to win in the acc and, mo- and even probably say the most impressive part is they haven't had the bat losses that literally everyone else in the acc has and that's been the reason why they pulled this up pulled themselves off the bubble which you know and when you look at the top coaches in the game like mark few and Bill Self and the rest of them, they're known for just not losing bad games all season long. And that's why Virginia is in the spot they have, despite not having really any NBA level talent players compared to the last couple of years. Yeah. And, and I'm looking right now at uh, Lucas Harkin's uh, projected field as of this morning uh, on Busting Brackets. And he has Virginia as an eight in the South region with Baylor. And if that happens, Baylor's the first one out of the tournament. And and I don't think I would even question picking Virginia in that game. The way Baylor's been playing as of late and the way Virginia's been playing as of late with Baylor's offensive struggles, Mm -hmm. um, I I would have serious doubts about Baylor's ability to win that game. And I think that's what makes Virginia so dangerous is that, you know, and then once they get into the second weekend, they're playing, possibly playing teams that, haven't been there right without the experience and and then you kind of they can grind out games against teams that are fatigued from the first season or or overperforming teams from the first weekend and and so they're going to be an eight nine seed that no one seed wants to see in their bracket um but if it's baylor or san diego state i think that one seed is in serious danger of not making the second weekend uh, I'll just put you on spot with this question. Second round matchup, uh, Dayton, Virginia. Who would you pick? I would probably pick Dayton in that one. Um, if, if we're assuming Dayton's a two and it's and it's in the East, um, I'd probably pick Dayton in that one simply because I don't think Virginia outside – I mean, Huff is good and big, and don't get me wrong, but they don't have the size mismatch that I think Dayton – struggles with they don't have an azabuki or a philip petrushev or, or someone of that stature down low and i think dayton's offense is so good that it would at least put up points against this virginia defense um and virginia's offense obviously isn't anything any real anything that's reliable um i'd probably pick dayton in that matchup i'd probably pick gonzaga or kansas if they were to match up with virginia but if it was a team like a a Baylor or a San Diego State, where their defense is incredible, but their offense has been suspect lately, um, I'd probably roll with the Cavaliers. Could you imagine if San Diego State got a one after the season they've had and then got that draw, where they get the defending national champs in the second round? That's that would be kind of like the year Wichita State got the one seed out of face Kentucky in the second round. You know, that would be that would be brutal. But I do want to go back out to the West Coast now because I think the most entertaining conference race right now is probably in the Pac-12, Connor. Um, And good old Mick Cronin sitting on top there with UCLA. They're probably the hottest team in the country or at least one of the hottest teams in the country with the surge they've been on. Now all alone at the top of the Pac-12 standings. Is this going to be something that they're able to hold on to or do they lose to USC this weekend and – create some four or five way tie. How do you see this race playing out? First of all, I, I'm, you know, USC, UCLA, the home court advantage is not as great as you might think uh, for USC. Uh, There's a ton, you know, college basketball in Los Angeles is UCLA basketball. Um, It's similar to college football in Los Angeles being USC football. And, with the close proximity, you're going to have a lot of UCLA fans. That said, I do think that at the very least, it's a two-way tie. I, I 
I think that Oregon wins out. So if UCLA wins, then I think it's a split championship between the two because Oregon has home games against Cal and Stanford, neither of which I foresee them losing. So that game really is going to determine the Pac-12 championship. If UCLA loses, Oregon gets sole possession. If UCLA wins, then you've got a two-way tie. Um, But regardless of that fact, Oregon is my pick to be the number one seed in the Pac-12 tournament. So, um, yeah, that, that's that's just where I am. I, I I think Oregon's the better team. I think they've had yeah. the tougher road so far. Um, but, yeah, I, I think the Pac-12 race is now a two-team race. With U, USC is essentially going to decide who wins that race. Mm-hmm. Tristan, I want to stick with UCLA. Are they a tournament team, in your opinion? It's a tough one because none of the metrics would forecast them being a tournament team just looking at that. But the way they've played during the stretch and the fact that they're leading the Pac-12 seems to indicate that they're probably on the right side of the bubble right now. I mean, I, I'd I'd say you go twelve and five, possibly thirteen and five in the Power Conference. That is better than last year. It could have four to five tournament teams. I I'd say yes, and I think the losses they had in non-conference, the Hofstra and uh, Cal State Fullerton, as bad as they are, you know, if we're going to let Providence in and some other teams who have dreadful non-conferences, I don't see why. UCLA shouldn't be in there with the metrics and all. And I think what helps them is that the momentum and just how everyone feels about them currently, you know, a lot of people say they should be a top 25 team right now with how they play with the defense and McCronin's effect really coming in on them. Would I want to play them in a tournament? Yeah, because I don't think they have an individual player that can beat you. But collectively in this tournament, whether on the road or at home, they're getting through a pretty competitive Pac-12 conference where outside of Washington, who's just fell off the earth, everyone's shown that they can beat everyone else. So so for UCLA to be number one in that league, all the credit to them. And I think they should get themselves a, a bid if they can just keep continuing and just simply avoid any losses to the bottom three teams. I would agree with that. I think if they beat USC this weekend and then – were to win the first game in the Pac-12 tournament, which would be avoiding one of those bad losses, I think they get in. Probably uh, first four maybe in that scenario, um, but I think they get in. I, I think they can lose the next two games and get in. Because you really? figure a loss at USC isn't a killer. The seven seeds, which is the presumed seed they would face, because the, the first round is seven versus ten, um, if the seven seed wins that, that's Arizona or Stanford. And so I don't think losing, especially to Arizona, is a killer for them. Um, How crazy is that, that Arizona might get the seven seed? So That's ridiculous. Yeah, and who do I think is the seven seed? Arizona plays the Washington schools. Stanford has to play Oregon, so I think it is probably Stanford. But I still think that they could lose to Stanford and still get in because I think Stanford, over the past couple of weeks— um, have secured their spot in the tournament. So I think outside of a catastrophic loss to Oregon State or Utah, uh, assuming the 11 seed comes out of that matchup, um, I, I, I am pretty confident that regardless of how they end the season, UCLA uh, is going to be in the tournament. I, w- I, I think they'll do what they need to do to get there. Uh, it'll be interesting to see sort of where they're seated and if they end up playing in the first four or not. But I, I think they've done enough on this stretch to get in, uh, assuming it doesn't completely come apart for them here down the stretch. The other race that's suddenly a lot more exciting, we may finish with a four-way tie <laughs> atop the Big Ten right now because Maryland has now lost two games in a row, three of their last four overall to drop back to 13-6 and six in conference play, joining Michigan State. They're tied in a loss column with Illinois and Wisconsin. 
so there's a chance if all of those teams continue to, to do what they're doing, we might be looking at a four-way tie at the top of that conference. But I want to I want to lay out what each team has left. So Maryland and Michigan State have a game in hand on Illinois and Wisconsin. Maryland this weekend hosts Michigan in a top 25 matchup. Michigan State, who just beat Maryland and Penn State on the road, hosts Ohio State. That's another top 25 matchup. That one's top 20. Illinois still has two games. They play at Ohio State and home against Iowa, both of those ranked teams. And then Wisconsin gets the host Northwestern, the cupcake of the group, and then plays at Indiana to close the season. How many of those teams do you think do what they need to do to get to that 14-win mark, Connor, uh, to claim a share? what's going to be a share of a conference championship? I think the way they've been playing, uh, Maryland probably loses um, that that game against Michigan. Um, I, I recognize that it's at home, uh, and Maryland's been incredibly good at home. But you've lost three of your last four, and your your only win is is a, a one point victory over a Minnesota team that, while they're good, um, has also been struggling lately. Uh, I think Michigan probably wins that game um, and, and secures their spot really uh, as a buy in the NCAA tournament. Uh, Michigan State against Ohio State will be a fun one. Um, Michigan State has, you know, they've beaten some really good teams lately. They're on a, they're on a roll heading into March, uh, which is classic Michigan State. Um, I'd probably pick Michigan State to win that game. Uh, Illinois probably drops one to Ohio State, which would knock them out of out of the conference championship. Wisconsin, I think it's a two-way tie. I think it's Wisconsin and Michigan State because I, I the, Wisconsin definitely beats Northwestern, and I would lean Wisconsin over Indiana as well. So uh, I'm going to go to um, the only team that I think I'm confident in winning a share of it, though, right now with the way they've been playing is Michigan State. They have absolutely turned it on. Um, the Wisconsin is is interesting because they've been on a surge here, Tristan. They've won seven games in a or excuse me, six games in a row. It's probably going to be seven with a home game against Northwestern, and then closing obviously with that road game against Indiana. How good is Wisconsin? Is Wisconsin actually come in state tournament time? Are they a team that needs to be reckoned with here, or are they simply? maybe benefiting from a lighter schedule than some of the other teams in the Big Ten. Yeah, so I, I would want to combine Wisconsin and UCLA in this sense that uh, I think when you have coaches complaining about transfers, look at what those two teams are doing, getting a whole lot better after losing what essentially has looked like dead weight for both of those teams. So just want to put that out there when it comes to how Coaches are in doomsday mode always when it comes to guys who win league teams. As far as Wisconsin themselves, they, they look like everyone has to roll. That we have Pritzel down low, you have the guards playing a whole lot better, feel a lot more comfortable in themselves. And while their defense isn't as good as Virginia's, it's still it's still formidable and it's become a problem in the Big Ten for when they play some of these teams. And their offense has been just efficient enough to get a whole lot of these wins. Uh, would I pick them to go deep in a tournament? No, because I think uh, subconsciously when we look at all these Big Ten teams, we're going to automatically pick some of them to lose early because a few of them look like they could go deep. So would I pick Wisconsin ahead of teams like Michigan State, Maryland, Iowa to go further in tournament? No, but – I wouldn't be surprised if Wisconsin makes things at least interesting for the round two opponent, and they could possibly, you know, get themselves a pretty high seed if they can make a run in the Big Ten tournament to be a five or six seed. So I, I, I respect a lot what they've done. They've def Gregard has certainly uh, solidified himself as the head coach of the future, considering the recruiting class he has come in and the work he's done without uh, Ethan Happ. So good for them, but. Uh, I'd hold off for uh, proclaiming them as a second weekend team. So uh, of those teams in the Big Ten, you mentioned some that you like to make a long run. 
Who do you have the most confidence in making the longest run among the Big Ten teams? Oh, this is a... see, see, the problem I have is that Maryland's depth is a concern because they effectively only play six guys. And I don't like to rely on two guys in Jalen Smith and Anthony Cohen to have, you know, six, four to six straight great games. Michigan State, there, there's just something about them that's on and off where they could go on a Final Four run or they could lose in the first round. And as teams like Illinois and Penn State, there's, they, they rely a lot on certain players. I would go with Iowa because I think Luca Garza can individually just go on a tear on his own. And I think the role players are good enough to help him out. But their defense is so suspect that I'm concerned that if they go up against the right, any decent team in the second round who can score, that they can lose 90 to 82 and get bounced out. So it, 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 they, this, the Big Ten reminds me this year of the ACC a couple years ago when they got 10 teams in and all of them bounced out except for two by Sweet 16. And we were proclaiming the ACC to be a fraud conference because they all got bounced out. When in reality, it's just a whole bunch of good teams beating up on each other and we can't truly tell which of them are truly good or not. So I'm going to be fascinated by what the Big Ten does in the big dance all on its own. And I think there's a possibility you could have four or five Sweet 16 teams, or you could have another scenario where only two stand with one of them likely being Michigan State. I'm going to jump in. I want to the same question to you, Connor. Go ahead. Well, I was going to jump in. Um, I don't know what you were going to going to ask, but I am willing to sit here and say that Wisconsin has definitely benefited from an easy end to their regular season schedule. Um, after that, losing four of six, where, where they did pick up wins against Michigan State and Nebraska at home, they have played Ohio State at home. Ohio State is four and six on the road. They played Nebraska which is one of the two worst teams in the Big Ten. They played Purdue at home. Purdue is 3-8 and eight on the road. They played Rutgers at home. Rutgers is an atrocious, what, 1-8 and eight on the road. They played a Michigan team that had just gotten livers back um, that was just kind of rounding into form. Um, and then they played Minnesota, who's also 2-9 and nine on the road. And they end the season with Northwestern, which is one of the Awful. two worst teams in the Big Ten, and then an Indiana team that I still don't trust. So if they win the Big Ten title, uh, I think a lot of it, not, not all of it, because obviously they've picked up good wins. Michigan State's a good win. Penn State, Maryland, and Ohio State to start the, the schedule. But I think that their kind of rise within the Big Ten has been due to the fact that they've played a lot of uh, generous, uh, in generous situations the last six games or so um whereas some of the other teams that were at the top have probably faced uh much harder schedules i think that's very true and important when talking about wisconsin because people are going to start mentioning them with those other teams because they're up there competing for a share of the conference championship but they certainly had benefited uh, from the scheduling here in a certain aspect Connor, which of the, I'll pose the same question to you. I uh, was going to ask that I asked Tristan. Um, which Big Ten team do you trust to make the longest run in the NCAA tournament? Um, I still, I still want to say that I trust Maryland. Um, I get that they've kind of fallen off. Uh, they lost to Michigan State, which is rounding into form, and then they lost two tough road games, um, and. and I, I understand that side of it. I do still think that they're heading into the last two weeks were clearly the best team in the Big Ten. But I'm going to go with Iowa for the same reason that I think Tristan went with Iowa, which is that, for me, Luka Garza is the one player that I trust to just take over at the end of the game and really help lead his team to victory. They also have shooters. Um, they don't necessarily play the best defense, uh, but their offense, I think, is good enough. And and Luca Garza is a star. Um, outside of those two, 
the way they've been playing lately, I'm probably going to say that to round out the top three, Ohio State um, has really kind of found their footing again after what was probably the roughest middle of the season stretch of any uh, high major team in the country. Yeah, I think we could look at a number of these teams as potential second weekend teams. Ohio State's certainly in there. I would throw Michigan in there with a healthy Isaiah Livers, the way they've looked. Penn State, I think you you could put in that mix. Iowa, you certainly put in that mix as well. Michigan State, Maryland, obviously. Um, if I said Illinois, I'm saying them again. Um, I still, uh, I'm still going to say Maryland because I know I announced a couple weeks ago that I was going to pick them to win the national championship. And I'm still holding on to that a little bit because nobody else has really jumped out to me. But I do really want to see how they play against Michigan this weekend and then how they play in the Big Ten tournament because this stretch obviously is not good, and I think you can make some excuses for them. The Ohio State loss they had was on the road, and they were coming back and right in it until Anthony Cowan got his fifth foul on a tech that may or may not have been a tech. I didn't think it should have been called, but um, – you know, it is what it is, and they that sort of ended that comeback effort there. The Minnesota game that they actually won, they had no business winning. Michigan State lost. They weren't in that game at all. Uh, and then the Rutgers game, they just had a, a really, really cold shooting night. Uh, that was one you just sort of chuck up as a, a road loss in conference play. We didn't bring it. Um they missed a ton of shots that they normally make. And so I'm willing to chalk that up as just a, one of those games as well. But they're, you know, they're playing their worst sort of at the wrong time here. They you're running out of time to sort of get things back on track. Uh, we all know Mark Turgeon's track record, which I think makes them even scarier going into the tournament because they, they might be a team that if fools like me still have confidence in them that could sort of dive out early. It'll just be interesting to see sort of happens with them because they're going the wrong direction. Michigan State's going the right direction. Uh, Ohio State, Michigan, and other teams going the right direction. I think we could see the Big Ten uh, put at least, I would say, four teams in the Sweet 16. Yeah, and just by pure volume, I think the Big yeah. Ten's going to have have the the best opportunity to get the most teams in, in the in the uh, in the Sweet 16. And the rest of the conference races, uh, you know, are pretty much sewn up. The ACC is still in the in the mix a little bit there. The Big East is pretty much handed the Seton Hall. Kentucky's already clinched the SEC regular season championship. Uh, the American, though, could be one that's a little interesting because nobody seems to want to hang on to that lead. Obviously, Memphis has fallen apart. Utah State has sort of followed suit and not not hung on to that. We have a, a two-way tie right now with Houston and Tulsa at the top. Cincinnati is only a half game back. All of those teams, with the exception of Houston, are on the bubble still. Tristan, when you look at this conference, number one, who do you think is actually the best team? And number two, how many NCAA tournament bids do you think the conference gets? Uh. I think Houston. Well, that's that's tough because I I think since I think Cincinnati has the most talent and the best individual player in Jaron Cumberland, and I think if you remove the issues they had in non-conference, that they, they did show overall that they're just a tiny bit better than Houston in the league. But. It's hard because you got Tulsa could possibly win the regular season title and probably still would have to win the actual tournament to get in. You got Memphis who has to lost two of their two of their best players. They're done. I mean, I, I, as weird as it says, would I be completely shocked if UConn somehow made a run? if they can avoid Houston towards the finals, because Houston can easily lose, because right now they are they could play Wichita State in the semis. So, I mean, Houston could easily get bounced at any point in the tournament. Could UConn make a run? Could SMU, who has the offense to do it, make a run? I, I have a feeling that 
it's going to be a two-bit league, and it's going to be Houston and whoever wins the tournament. Because I, I think Cincinnati and Wichita's their, their resumes just doesn't hold up. And I don't think the American has the cachet or the respect to push teams ahead that even the Pac-12 may be able to do with some of their bubble teams. So that, that that's a conference tournament that is going to have so much online. And, and, and I can't wait to see it because I could see any of the top seven teams winning the tournament because any of them could beat each other on, on any given night. So, yeah, Connor, do you have faith in any of those American teams? Because I certainly don't. I don't think we'll see one of them in the second weekend. I I do not. Um, I think that we end up having a three-way tie uh, at the top of the, the standings by the end of the season between Houston, Cincinnati, and the fighting Frank Haiths. Um, and, and look, I, I told you this two months ago, Brian, that Cincinnati and Tulsa were the two teams that I would throw – their name you did in the hat to uh to to make a run at that title and, and there they are your Tulsa take because of Frank Hayes <laughs> um but I think Tulsa and and Houston or and I guess Tulsa and Cincinnati both beat Temple um which would but I think I think I would take Wichita State at home over Tulsa um which would allow them to tie and Houston ends the season with a home game against Memphis and a road game against UConn, the way that they've kind of played all year and been playing lately, uh, I wouldn't put it past them to lose one of those games because um, they've lost some. They've lost a couple of tight ones on the road this year. Uh, they've lost four road games in conference by a combined two, four, uh, six, five, six six points four road games um so so they if they get in a close one with UConn or if they get in a close one with Memphis um I, I wouldn't put it past them to lose one of those games so I think there's a three-way tie I agree with Tristan I think that it ends up being a two-bid conference uh Houston's safe um and mm-hmm. I and but you know if Houston wins the tournament it could be a one-bid league. Yeah, I I would still think that they would put somebody in because I would assume, no, I'm assuming, I would assume that Cincinnati or Wichita, depending on how sort of seeding plays out here, would make the championship game. Cincinnati is probably the most likely to do that, and I think that would be enough to get to a matchup with Houston to put them in it might be a first four matchup but i think that would be enough to put them in i think the american is too good to be a one bid league but at this point i don't think they're getting any more than two necessarily all right well as we wrap up here i know we normally go to some bold predictions but since we're at the end of the season regular season at least we're getting into conference tournaments instead of bold predictions we're going to do picks for some national awards. We're going to go through National Player of the Year, National Coach of the Year, the guys we think we've been the best this season, uh, Best Freshman of the Year, which might be an interesting one, uh, considering that there haven't been a ton of really top-quality freshmen. But we'll start with Coach of the Year. Tristan, who would be your pick to win Coach of the Year this season? Yeah, I was was thinking hard about – Anthony Grant of Dayton, but I think I give a little more credit to Obi Toppin and his play. For Coach of the Year, I'm going a little outside the box and going with uh, Kevin Wilder to Seton Hall because okay. that the, the moment in December when Mamu and Miles Powell went down, I know I was saying it and others were saying it that there's a good chance they're not going to make the tournament because what was going to happen – with the rest of the supporting cast. And even when with Powell came back earlier than expected, he wasn't 100% for a good portion of a whole month, but yet they still managed to win the games they needed to. And then for them to win the Big East the way they did, taking care of business against Butler, Villanova, Marquette, all the rest of them, it, 
that it was it was a pretty amazing performance by Willard, especially considering that they were a team that in preseason a lot of folks weren't the highest on because the belief is sometimes when you return the same group of guys that you may have maxed out their potential. But to see what he did uh, with Romero Gill, to see the confidence that the underclassmen guards had, even with Powell coming back, I, I thought it was a pretty spectacular year for Willard. It really solidified himself as a top-tier coach in the Big East. I think that's fair. I mean, that's definitely fair. Connor, who would be who would be your pick? I I I I might be going a little out of the box. Um, I, I haven't seen his name mentioned a lot, but I think he is the coach that has done the best job this year. I'm going to go with Brian Dutcher of San Diego State. If you look at all these teams and all these coaches that have outperformed expectations, come you know, been named as as possible. Uh, coach of the years, right? Outside of Brian Dutcher and, and Anthony Grant at, at Dayton, none of them uh, were ranked, or all of them were ranked. San Diego State did not have a single vote in the top 25 to enter the year, and they are looking at a one seed. If that's not worthy of coach of the year, um, especially since they only lost one game, I don't really know what is. Yeah, that's a very good point. But in saying that, I would pick Scott Drew for Baylor. Uh, yes, they had some expectations. They were not this high. They were not expected to reach number one, let alone spend more weeks at number one than anybody else this season. Um, doing so without a real high-profile high recruit, a lot of transfers. Everyone loves to talk about Freddie Gillespie coming from D3 as well. This is a roster that he developed, that he coached up, uh, that he had playing for most of the season or a good chunk of the season as the best team in the country. So I, uh, the TCU loss kind of stings a little bit here at the end, as does the home loss to Kansas, but I still think he's in enough to get my vote um, for Coach of the Year. But there are obviously there's probably three or four, maybe even five candidates I could win, and we just named three different ones, um, that could win – and I don't think anybody would really bat an eyelash or say they were undeserving, which I, has made this year a lot of fun. We'll move now to freshman of the year. I want to talk about this one because it's a little interesting simply because there's not the overwhelming freshman class there has been maybe the past couple of years, Connor. Um, so as you look around the country, who has been the freshman that has impressed you the most and played the best in your eyes this season? Jeez, if you were to ask me that two weeks ago, um, okay, I'm still probably going to say Vernon Carey for Duke. That said, I think that his chances of winning it um, have probably taken a slight hit uh, because of the way that they've been playing lately. But if you look at those games, he scored 17 points against Virginia. He scored... He, he didn't play quite – he wasn't the best player in that game for Duke uh, against Wake Forest, but he still scored 10 points on 4 of 10 shooting with 7 rebounds and 2 blocks. And that was probably his worst game um, that I've a- actually watched this season. Uh, he scored 27 – he was the only player who could score against NC State. So I'm going to go with Vernon Carey simply because while Duke's kind of gone up and down and fluctuated, Vernon Carey's performance has stayed constant, and it stayed at the top of college basketball. So um, that's my pick for freshman of the year is Vernon Carey. Yeah, I would pick Vernon Carey as well for all those reasons that you mentioned. Um, He's been the most consistently dominant freshman in the country. And it would have been fun to have seen – James Wiseman come back and play would have been fun to see Cole Anthony healthy all year, but I don't, I don't necessarily think there's anybody who's really, you could argue people might be close, but I don't think there's anybody who can necessarily match his production on a, on a nightly basis this season. But Tristan, uh, give us your pick. Who do you think would be national player of the year for you or national freshman of the year? Excuse me. Yeah. So I, I do want to give some credit to Anthony Edwards because he has very little to work with 
both on the court and on the sidelines. So I just do want to give him some credit. I, shot I, at Tom Crean, huh? It's, it, I, I don't understand why he went there. I With that coach, no. that I, No. So, but that, that was his decision, so on him. But it, the freshman that I think has had an even bigger impact than Vernon Carey is out west uh, on Yeka Okongwu uh, for USC because he is the reason why uh, in the infield is still going to have a job after this year. He has been absolutely phenomenal. It's averaging 16 and 9 a game. He, he, he's been the guy even more so than Mobley. And I thought that he was going to be someone that was going to play a big factor, but he's been even better big man than Zeke, Zeke Nanji of Arizona. He's been the most consistent guy. Uh, I, I give him a lot of credit for saving his job and leading USC to a tournament where I didn't think they were going to be. I didn't think they were going to be a good enough team, but he, he's been great. And if he can have, you know, a couple of big games in the tournament, I would not be surprised if he can end up as a top five pick in the NBA draft. Okay. I think that's certainly on the table for him, especially considering how weak uh, the top of this draft class is. There is no real national player of the year candidate that looks like they're going to be picked in the top five. Uh, Obi Toppin might end up cracking that. He's a likely top 10 pick. Um, but a lot of those top five guys are going to be guys that we didn't see a lot of in college basketball this year, which made for a more interesting and wide open national player of the year race in my mind. But Tristan, uh, there are a lot of guys in the mix there. Who, who would be your pick for player of the year? I don't think it's, I honestly don't even think it's going to be close. I think it has to be Luca Garza, the big 10 by far the best conference. And he is just putting up absurd numbers night in, night out, consistently carrying this Iowa team as much as he can on his back. I thought, you know, when um, Iowa lost, uh, forget, forgetting his name, Tyler. Jordan Bohannon. Yep, Jordan Bohannon. Well, well, I was thinking of the uh, big man from last year alongside him. Oh, uh, Tyler Cook. Yeah, when, yeah. when they lost him, that it was sort of going to make things difficult because Iowa didn't truly have another big man to replace them. But Luca Garza, it, 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 it didn't matter to him. And he, his game has expanded all kinds of ways on his range, his inside game. He's been phenomenal. And the thing that helps him more than Obi Toppin, even though that uh, uh, tweet from Iowa basketball, which was just <laughs> re, 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 ridiculous because he, you could have made a case for him without doing it like that. But the fact is, Obi Toppin's best game in a win, you know, his best games came in losses, which he, which isn't his fault, but it kind of has to factor in. But I will say that if I had to pick a number two guy for player of the year, uh, I, I thought Connor was on the right track for the coach, but I think Malachi Flynn should be the runner-up for national player of the year because his huge games came in wins. And the statement that he had against Nevada, and hopefully a lot of people saw that game, that he, he's been – one of the top three or four guards in the country. And I, he was great at Washington State, but to see the kind of defense that he's shown, the passing, just everything that he, he, you know, he, he took a leap similar to what Nigel Williams-Goss did when he went from Washington to Gonzaga, going from, mid, from a Pac-12 to a mid-major team and just really exploding. So I, I would not be surprised if San Diego State makes a run with him as the leader and and. He, he showed that not all transfers have to go to big schools to prove their worth. So he would be my runner-up for National Player of the Year, even over Obi Toppin. Yeah, uh, Mountain West Player of the Year, Mountain West Defensive Player of the Year as well. Um, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I, th I think his case may be a little bit stronger had San Diego State gone undefeated, but he's certainly in that mix as well. Uh, and to reference the tweet from Iowa earlier today uh, they tweeted out a tale of the tape between Luca Garza and Obi Toppin uh, with their stats only versus AP ranked opponents pointed out that Iowa had played 11 of those games and Dayton had only played one in those 11 games Luca Garza was averaging 26 and a half points 
with 10 20-point games, 11.3 rebounds, and 1.6 blocks per game. Obi Toppin scored 18 and 9, uh, 9 boards with 3 blocks. Also had a nice uh, note at the end that Iowa played Ken Palm's fifth toughest schedule while Dayton was at 103. So Iowa trying to drum up some support in that direction. It was also pointed out on Twitter that um, I that Garza's offensive efficiency rating would be fifth on Dayton's team behind almost all of their starters. So there's really numbers you can throw out uh, in both cases to make one guy look good over the other. But Connor, do you have a favorite in, in that matchup between Garza or Toppin, or is it somebody else like Malachi Flynn? First of all, I, I think if I'm predicting who wins, I think it's Luca Garza. Because I think that he he's quite clearly the best player in the best conference um, and probably the best, you know, has the most eye-popping stats uh, in the country. That said, who would I vote for at this point? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move away from everything Kristen said. I'm going to go with Devin Dotson because okay. he has been the most important player on the really the only elite team in the country. Um, and outside of, you know, the game against Baylor at home, he hasn't really struggled. And he plays well on both ends of the floor, something that I'm not necessarily – I mean, Garza is good defensively, but Garza isn't Devin Dodson good defensively. And, and I know Devin Dodson's not the best defender on his team, but if you're talking about a, a, a guard that could win, um, I, I think that Devin Dodson has to be in the conversation, even more so than Yudoka Azabuki. Because, well, I think that – you know, Azubuki is a talented player and, and more physically dominant than uh, Devin Dodson. I do think that Dodson is the reason why Kansas is number one in the country. And so you have to have him in the conversation because of that. That's entirely fair. And I think Ken Palm has him uh, at number one in his player of the year rankings uh, in terms of efficiency and how he measures that. So that's certainly not a bad pick at all. Um, for me, I've been doing a national player of the year power rankings all season long, uh, every week for busting brackets. Um, so f- for me, I, I would pick Luca Garza. Um, I love Obi Toppin. I love his, his game. I love the way he plays. I love how dominant he has been. Um, I think he's going to be the, the best NBA prospect, certainly of this group. I think he, he's a much better NBA prospect just from a skill set standpoint and a physical tool standpoint than we even give him credit for. Um, but I don't, I don't think you can give it to anybody other than Luka Garza this season because of the way he's played. While some of the, the production he has put up has been in losses, um, the way he has consistently produced those 20 and 10 games the way he has carried an Iowa team that doesn't really have a ton around him to probably a, a top five, top six seed at worst. Um, that that should mean something. And the field isn't super great this year. Um, I would throw Peyton Pritchard in that mix as well with what he's done at Oregon. Um, but I think Luke Garza right now is pretty clearly at the top of the class. I would like to point out um, that – you, I put a caveat. I said that if Jordan Bohannon wasn't available for Iowa, they were still a tournament team. Um, and you said you that they needed Bohannon. And uh, I didn't necessarily think that Garza was going to be this good, but um, I think, I, I agree. I think what he did, especially with the loss of, of Jordan Bohannon, which was a player that a lot of people thought Iowa needed to make the tournament, um, is is something that will earn him that award and and I certainly wouldn't have any issues with him winning that award. No, I expected Iowa to quite frankly suck uh after Bohannon went out. I thought they were they were set to kind of struggle finish at best uh mid tier in the Big Ten, but that obviously isn't the case and Garza's play is the biggest reason why. Um so I, I think for that he deserves credit and that's only part of his player of the year candidacy, but it's a it's a good one. 
I think we should we should go around real quick. Um, one more. You know, this isn't awards, but just looking forward. Um, Tristan, if you want to start off, oh. give. Oh, uh, I, I wanted to I wanted to ask a question regarding player of the year, because I, I think there's a name that never gets brought up that I'm curious what you guys think, because uh, you look at Toppin, you look at Azubuki, you look at Garza, and you even look at a guy like Vernon Carey, Jalen Smith. Is there is there a possibility that Philip Petrusev, the leading scorer on the team that has been ranked number two or three or or one in the country for two-thirds of the year, is there a possibility that he gets left off the All-American teams? Because it feels like he gets talked the least among all the big men, even though he's been on one of the top teams in the country. I'll, I'll chime in real quick because I know, Connor, this is something that is near and dear to your heart. I think he gets in on an All-American team. It's not going to be first team. It's probably going to be back end of the second, maybe front of the third. But I, I think he'll make an All-America team. Yeah, I think he'll make an All-America team. Um, I I hesitate to say I would necessarily be upset if he did it, only because, um, look, he's been great. He's also the third most important player on Gonzaga's roster, if that. He's been solid inside, but I think Corey Kispert is a more important player, and I think that Tilly is probably a more important player. Um, and, and from the perspective of, of being the leading scorer, you know, putting up 18 points a game when six of your players are scoring in double digits is great. Uh, but, and while I do hate the argument that, you know, Gonzaga plays in the WCC, so, you know, that, that has to factor into it. When you look at how he's played against, um, some of these teams that actually do have pretty solid big men. Uh, he hasn't necessarily been at the same level um, as he is otherwise. He's scored 19 points total against BYU in in their two games, 5 and 14. He scored 9 points against Michigan in that loss. Um, You know, he he didn't necessarily struggle as much against uh, San Francisco with Jimbo Lowell. But there's not really another team that they've played this year that at the time of playing had a big man that, you know, really would challenge him. Um, Washington and Arizona, he scored 16 and 17, which were great numbers. But a lot of his big games, his 20 to 30 point games, have come against teams that really don't have solid interior bigs. And so... But didn't they also come when Tilly and Tilly was out and they were running a six-man rotation and had to go through him? Because without Petrushev, they wouldn't have won those games, including Pepperdine's San Francisco ones, without him. See, the way I view it is if Drew Timmy doesn't perform at the level he did, they probably lose those games. And I think that Philip Petrushev scored a ton of points, especially in that game at Santa Clara when Killian Tilly went down. But a lot of it had to do with with Drew Timmy just kind of taking that role, you know, next man up and running with it. Um, The reason I wouldn't have an issue with it is because I do think that especially Corey Kispert has been more important in terms of, you know, late game uh, shot making abilities, late game reliability than Philip Petrushev, which is the same reason why I don't necessarily think I'd be upset if Azabuki wasn't on the first team All-America list uh, for that same reason that you can't really trust him for 40 minutes in a close game. You can trust him for the first 37. And then after that, you kind of want someone who can make free throws, who can, who can defend better than Petrushev can. But that's just my take. I, I think he makes an All-America team. Because I do think that he yeah. has the best stats on one of the two best teams. The only team that's been ranked number one this year that hasn't lost as the number one team. They will own that distinction probably for the rest of the season. Uh, but real quick, Connor, what was the, the final award we were getting to? Not, not award, just looking forward. One or, two, uh, one or two conference tournaments this week. So the first week, I guess we can go by the, the teams that were picked uh, on the Jerome 
um, this year that you're looking forward to, Tristan? Ooh, uh, for, for me, it's the mid-major ones. Uh, and and I, I sort of look for teams who are heavily favored, who I think have the potential to win a game or two in the tournament, and that's my beloved uh, Stephen F. Austin Jackrabbits and New Mexico State Aggies, because I think if those two teams can get in, there's a, they have a real shot at 12 or 13 seats upsetting someone. If they don't get in, someone else does, and there's going to be 16 seats. So I think for, for me, even more so than potential bid stealers, there's a few mid-majors out there, one bit leagues, who have legit potential to upset some of these teams who might be overrated at the three, four, five seat range. So even, and I know this is part of the first week, but the Vermont Catamounts could be a team that you don't want to see. If somehow Yale or uh, if Yale or Harvard can get the auto bid, there's always going to be a few of these mid-majors who, all, who, who miss out on the one-bit league and have to go to the NIT. But keep an eye on some of these teams that could, could really pull off the upset. Give me the Missouri Valley and the SoCon. The SoCon specifically, simply because uh, there's going to be some really high-quality basketball played in there. And if East Tennessee State loses, we're looking at a two-bid league, uh, I think, for the SoCon. I think East Tennessee State has locked up in that large bid. And I'm really hoping uh, – this is nothing against East Tennessee State, so I'll probably pick them to win a game in the NCAA tournament. But I hope they lose just so we get a two-bid SoCon. I think that would be really cool especially if someone like UNC Greensboro or Furman were to get that bid. I think that would show really well for the SOCON. Uh, the Missouri Valley as well, I think Northern Iowa is in. Um, I think they ultimately win the Missouri Valley tournament, but that would be a scenario where if they were to lose and a Loyola Chicago were to win or, or somebody else in that conference were to win, that conference would get two bids as well. So those are two I'm watching for. Just keeping an eye on upsets, but I'm, I'm really excited also for just the level of basketball we're going to see in the SOCON. Yeah, so I obviously I had the SoCon as the fourth most intriguing, exciting tournament uh, this season uh, in because my rankings. You're a smart man, and um, and I'm going to stick with that. I, I think that's going to be fun. Uh, and I actually did pick Furman to win that. The other conference tournament that I have pretty high up on the list, where I picked not the non-favorite to win, is the Mountain West, because I think that over the last couple of weeks, San Diego State has shown that they are vulnerable to an upset um, in the in the Mountain West Conference Tournament. And I actually went with Nevada because I think when it comes down to it, uh, Jalen Harris can take over a game offensively and kind of put that pressure on a San Diego State team that if they're not hitting shots, are very susceptible to losing. So those are the two conferences. Obviously, the Missouri Valley Conference is up there. The West Coast Conference, just because of the potential to have a San Francisco, Gonzaga, St. Mary's, BYU matchups um, in the semifinals, followed by Gonzaga against uh, St. Mary's or BYU, um, is going to be exciting. But those are the two conferences that I think could get uh, multiple bids and potentially have you know a couple of major conference teams really sweaty on Selection Sunday because I think uh, Furman and, and UNC Greensboro are good enough to be East Tennessee State, and I think San Diego State over the past couple of weeks has wavered a little bit too much for me to be 100% confident in their ability to win that tournament. I still think they win, but it, the way they have played, certainly some doubt has creeped in there, and I don't think it would be a surprise if they were to, to be upset somewhere along the way. Uh, I think there might be a potential pitfall against UNLV in that tournament as well. Obviously the team that ended their undefeated season. Oh, speaking of which, good thing you said that. Uh, uh, a plug alert, uh, our own John Vaccaro, who did the Mountain West tournament preview, had UNLV winning the conference tournament in his predictions. So uh, it seems a lot of people are sort of picking – the Aztecs to lose, they, they, they've looked vulnerable. So, and you usually always expect a bid stealer or two to come out. And I guess if no one thinks that Pacific or San Francisco can do it in the WCC, looks like all eyes are going on the uh, Mountain West. But does anybody else think that Dayton can lose 
in the A-10 tournament because that looks like – because historically, the one seat in that conference always loses and a bit stealer comes through there. If, if Dayton isn't the one who does it, who do you guys think could possibly be the team that wins that tournament? If Dayton doesn't, it would be Rhode Island, I think. But um, but I, I think Dayton rolls through it. Yeah, I, I just uh, – you know, there's been big favorites heading into the A-10 conference tournament in the past – but I don't necessarily remember a time where there's been as big of a, at least in the last decade, as yeah, big no one's been, no one's been this favorite. great. So I'm going to roll with Dayton on that one, um, and I'm going to roll with with Northern Iowa because I think that they too are probably a bigger favorite to win than than most of the Missouri Valley Conference teams in the past. Um, San Diego State's a big favorite as well, but I just they haven't been playing like that the past couple of weeks, which is why I'm kind of starting to fade them. But uh, no, it's going to be fun. And obviously there are a lot of conferences where every team in that conference is playing for their NCAA tournament hopes and dreams, and, and those are going to be fun conferences to watch as well. So um, I think over the next two weeks we're going to get a lot of quality basketball, a lot of heartbreak, a lot of exciting moments, memorable moments. And uh, you know, at the end of, at the end of this week, um, we're going to have uh, a couple of, of teams that are that we know, you know, this time next week, we're going to have a couple of teams that we know are going to be in the NCAA tournament. Um, and then we're going to also have the major conferences at that point uh, playing for most likely seeding um, as opposed to uh, true kind of win or go home uh, situations. It's the best time of the year. We're... Only a couple days away from having basketball on from noon Eastern to all odd hours of the night every day. It's it's March. It's finally here. There are going to be upsets, and there's going to be a lot of fun. So thanks again to Tristan Freeman for joining us. For our co-host, Connor Hope, I am Brian Ralph. Thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you guys again next time.